Well, Cooper, there's been multiple times we've had to do these intros through Zoom. First there being, Zach. you're at Canacuck. I'm in Dallas. That's true. I think second being, I got COVID. You did not. You got the vid, and I did not. I still haven't to this day. I'm COVID. That's free. right. You have the immune system of a legend. But I mean, of a yeah, a legend is a good word. Call me Kobe. I mean, <laughs> if I had the if I had the flu, I'd probably perform better. You know what That's I mean? right. That's right. That might have been Michael Jordan, but who's counting? No, but this, it's Kobe's flu game. <laughs> this third time is because of the polar vortex that has hit Dallas, Texas. Just the ice wind of hellfire and brimstone has come. The, the, it, it, the snowmageddon. Snowmageddon. That's a good way to put it. I'm from Missouri. We got snow like fairly often. If it goes below a certain degree down here in Texas, I mean – People go People nuts. lose their mind. I mean, I here's just, the deal, Zach. This yeah. has not happened in five years, this right. amount of snow. It's pretty Dallas, amazing. Texas. It's beautiful. Welcome. If you're in Dallas, <laughs> thank you. Also, I want to talk about, we went four years of college mm. praying every winter for snow. Didn't get any. Literally. Our that, first winter the, out. Our, our senior year of high school, it snowed. That's, why, that's how I know it was five years. Are you serious? Our senior year of high school. It snowed really bad in Dallas. And I was like, dude, I can't wait to do that. DBU, all the hills, it's going to be so fun. Then here we are, our freshman year of life, a.k.a. college graduate. It snows. We just, we aren't on campus. I just did not realize the last time it snowed in Dallas was your senior year, or I guess our senior year of high school. That's true. That's 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 how it was. That's what happened, man. Well, here it is. It's beautiful. Really? (laughs) That was a better transition. I I had something crazy happen to me recently. Tell me about it. Zach, we've commented on the podcast before about my rather loud voice. Right. I can actually faintly hear you from my apartment where you're sitting. Yeah, not through the headphones. But not through like the headphones. Across the Metroplex. Just naturally, yeah. Yeah. I totally understand. I totally get that. But I had, an, I had a run-in with a uh, – I guess my – I'll call her my arch nemesis now. <laughs> arch Don't nemesis, even know her that's, name. Rather, that's rather strong. Tell me the story. Yeah, we. I had a run-in, Zach, and I was okay. sitting at the Watermark Coffee Shop like you do. All right. Yeah. Sitting with a friend, Grant Wilkie, for those of you that know him. You know, okay. I was sitting at the coffee shop, and we were on the second floor of the Watermark Town Center because it was so busy down there. And we were sitting in these two chairs, and my chair was facing his chair as you would do when having a conversation with someone that normally does happen. Right. And what I did not take into account was beyond his chair was a woman who was facing another woman. She was having a meeting as well, like you do. And we were talking and there were moments, Zach, I'm a passionate guy. I mean, you are, you are me. I'm a passionate guy. (laughs) And Sometimes my voice shows it. I get I get louder when I'm getting passionate about something. And unfortunately, unfortunato, I think, as they say, yeah, in, in Spanish. And yeah, I guess I was I was doing that where I was getting too passionate, talking too loud because this woman gets up. I mean, probably mm, late fifties, early sixties, like elderly. Yeah. Oh, she walks. She's older. Yeah, yeah, she's older. So you'd think like <laughs> you'd think Loki hard of hearing. Right. Like I, well, I don't want to, I don't want to assume. Wanna, that's right. I'm not assuming here. I mean, right. But I just, you would think. So she walks over now. And she goes, now they might sue you. <laughs> yeah. Now she might. <laughs> now they might sue me. She walks over and she goes, hi, how are you? I'm like, good. How, how are you doing? I'm like, like, what do you, like, what, what, why are you talking? Not like, why are you talking to me? But like, why are you talking yeah, to me? This, you know? this is awkward. 
And she's like, hey, I'm actually having a conversation over here. And I'm just having a really hard time focusing on what my friend here is trying to say. No. And I was wondering if there's any way you could possibly talk a little quieter. You are kidding me. <laughs> Dead serious. She, she comes up. She was so polite. I mean, she was just yeah. a sweet elderly woman. You're at a church. And I was, a, I was at a church. Yeah, yeah. And she, I was like, yeah, sorry. I know. I guess I have a loud voice. I mean, that's never <laughs> happened to me. That yeah. interaction has never. Like you have told me. My parents have told me. People that are close to me have told me that my voice is right. loud, but never have I been stopped at a coffee shop because I was being too loud. That is tough. So what it was your tough. initial thought, initial response? I was just like, I mean, yeah, like, I'm sorry that that happened. She, <laughs> I mean, like, she was like, can you talk a little quieter? I was like, I know I'm not just gonna be able to like, for the next 40 minutes, turn the volume down. Like, it's right. just not, not realistic. So I get up, I switch chairs with Grant and she like, she's like trying to be helpful but it's like too much and she's mm. like oh like i'll help you she's like moving the chair so it's mm. my back is now facing her i'm like girl like get out of the space mm. like you said what you said your piece i'm sorry it's not uncomfortable it's not weird it, like it's kind of weird that you'd ask me to be quiet because let's be real it wasn't a one-time thing she had to have been sitting there for probably 15 minutes contemplating yeah, like, should i say something like yeah that's not just an in the moment decision that was right. an overtime buildup. so that poor woman. I mean, I can only imagine how loud I must have been bellowing down her eardrum. Well, I can, <laughs> I can attest to the octaves. Is octaves the right measurement of sound? It's a fair term. I think <laughs> octave, maybe volume. The, okay, the volume of Cooper's voice when you're in a room, if you are on one side of the room having a conversation, doing homework, reading a book, and Cooper's having a conversation or just talking in general on the other side, you have no trouble hearing him. And I understand this lady, but it's so funny Fair. that she got up and told you to quiet down. It's like it's like a library. I know. I mean, I have like I have a unique voice where it just kind of pierces through other sounds. <laughs> Cooper, since that interaction, have you been more conscious about your voice in public places? How have you zero percent? <laughs> zero percent. So this is not affecting Zach, all, how you live. As Tadashi said, all I ever wanted was to be me. I'm just gonna I'm just I mean it's it's the burden I bear and yeah. the blessing I own you know I love that and I think and I've used I think we've talked about this I, I think we've talked about it before of uh, you have used my voice yeah, in yeah. crowds to get other people's attention yeah, <laughs> like really for is. example I'm pretty sure I've called out to your wife in crowded settings so that you could get her attention I think that's true and I mean it's useful it, it's a good tool for me to call upon when I need it, it. is and that's one of my favorite things about right. you, other than your voice, is that you are just, you're you, no matter what, no matter what. Zach, I'm a vessel. <laughs> you are. <You're> <laughs> I'm vessel. a vessel for this loud volume. That's right. And I, I'm I your vessel. That's right. I graciously use it as much yeah, as I well, can. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a privilege to be used by you, Zach. And if you ever need me to say anything loud, you can always call me. And I'll just shout through the speakerphone, and I'm sure be louder than you, y'all. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the whispering, the gentle and lowly, Cooper McCullough. How, hi, Cooper. Hello there. Can you hear me? <laughs> Please keep your voice down on this. Uh, I wish I would have got that woman's name from the coffee shop, Zach. I, wish I, I, I think I have a feeling you'll see her again. And she's going to run. Glory. 
Jeez. I think I'll see her in glory and see her in glory and I'll be singing at the throne room and she'll just look from across. That's right. Because we're all worshiping Christ together. She'll look across and see me and just say, man, I wish you could worship God as loud as you can. <laughs> I'm like, I know, sweet lady. <laughs> I know. Wow, that just went a different direction than I thought it would, but I love it. That's right. This Speaking is a theological of- podcast now. <laughs> Speaking of things I love, this interview, Cooper, one of my favorites. It's a good one. It's a, okay. I figured you might say that, Zach. You know, I, I typically do. And Cooper, when we first started our podcast, there was a podcast that we kind of modeled ours after and gave us a lot of Not copy. We didn't copy. copy. No. Didn't copy. Exactly. We would do. No, we would never copy. But if you listen to their their old podcast, I guess now it would sound similar. Yeah, they've moved on, and That's we're right. stuck in their old model. That's right. And it's also where we first heard Horst Schultze on their podcast. You remember that? Sweet, sweet Schultze. <laughs> That's right. Well, today we have Dr. J.J. Peterson. He's the chief of teaching and facilitation at StoryBrand in Nashville. If you've heard of Donald Miller and J.J. and what they're doing with the formerly known as Building a StoryBrand podcast, yep. but now the Business Made Simple podcast. They released a book called Business Made Simple, and it's part of their teaching plan to integrate the story framework into marketing and into business. And that's what we talked to J.J. about today. What they're experts on is having the narrative story format for marketing, enhancing marketing, making sure the customer is the hero of your story. And there's all these different elements. And it's what JJ wrote his dissertation on. But we kind yeah. of twisted it today. So we that's talked Dr. About, JJ to you, it is, it is Dr. JJ to me. But what we talk about today is how leaders use stories to move people. So every time he would talk about a concept of story or, or a part of story, he would say, now, if you are a leader and you are communicating to a group of people, this is how you use this. And it was so fascinating mm. to see that different parts of a story and how you can use them. It starts by that there's a character, there's a hero in your story, that hero has a problem, and then that hero meets a guide. That guide helps them create a plan to get past their problem, then that guide calls them to action, and then there's either success or there's failure. And that's what every great story is. And I was going to say, I hear you saying Star Wars. I hear you saying Finding Nemo. Yeah, and of all the stories that you mentioned, I think it most uh, sums up Finding Nemo, if we're being honest. I mean, come on. One of the greatest stories. That's right. Dory is the guide, which is an interesting switch. It is is a very interesting. I just, I have, and even after this, I've loved stories. And you specifically get rather sucked into movies and sucked into stories. I, Zach, I've been known to get caught on the couch watching the uh, Emoji movie. Is an example (laughs) of the time I got sucked. You guys, basically what happened is you guys put the movie on knowing I would get sucked in as a prank. And yeah. it's like five minutes in. You guys have both. Oh, left it was room deeper than five minutes. Couch. It was way longer than I mean, five okay, minutes. Okay, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no concept of time when I'm that's sucked right. in, Zach. I'm a sucker for a story. That's right, and that's what great stories do. They suck you in, and that's why it works in the market. The emoji framework. movie is not a great story. Just no, it's just clear. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Not, we'll just, just throw that out there. But the story framework helps leaders captivate their audience, captivate that's those right. that are leading to a mission, to a goal, and that's how it works. And this is what JJ tells us about today, and it's a wonderful interview, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. So, Cooper, are you ready? I am ready to hear from. I mean, one day my hopes is that I might be a J.J. Peterson to a Donald Miller. That is you, Zach. You are the Donald Miller to my J.J. Peterson. (laughs) I love that. I'm going to listen to this as though I'm listening to me. Wow. Without further ado, here he is, Dr. J.J. Peterson. (laughs) 
Hi, JJ. It's good to see you. Thank you for being on. I'm honored to have you on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing at StoryBrand, Business Made Simple. Uh, just a huge fan of it all. So I want you to start by introducing yourself. Who are you? How do you get to where you are? And what are you doing in Nashville, Tennessee? <laughs> well, um, there's a lot to those stories, but uh, I'm Dr. JJ Peterson, and I uh, currently am the chief teaching and facilitation uh, person at StoryBrand, which means that I get to help people craft and tell compelling stories for like in their marketing and leadership, kind of basically communicating anything to any audience, how to get people more engaged. And uh, my background is really kind of all over the place, but it has to, everything I've ever done really has had to do with story. Mm. Um, and I didn't really realize that until I came to StoryBrand. Um, my background is in uh, nonprofit work. So I did public relations and marketing for a couple international nonprofits uh, in Central America and then in uh, Africa. Okay. Um, doing community development. Then I actually did uh, some television and film and comedy for a while, kind of toured and did improv comedy, um, and then ended up getting my master's in theology and the arts, so a study of story uh, in film and television and music, and then my PhD is in communication, and I was a professor, uh, and then how I ended up kind of finally at StoryBrand is I was Dean of Students at a university in Southern California and teaching communication and leadership out there. And I, uh, as you do when you live in Southern California, I sold a reality television show. Well, I partnered with a production company, right. a reality television show with me and my brothers. And it was called Bad A Brothers. And the premise is that my brothers and I are so not bad A that we can't even say the word. Right? <laughs> and so I love it. We wanted to up our bad A reputation. And the way we did that was by traveling around the U.S. and finding those old weird laws that are still on the books. Like you can't cross a Minnesota border with the duck on your head or you can't have an ice cream cone in your back pocket in Atlanta. All right. real laws. And we would go and we would break those laws so we could be more bad A. I and love it. So, so I left the school and was pursuing kind of that, the television. I worked in production and film and different things for a while. And I had met Donald Miller, who is the founder of StoryBrand. And he and I had become friends. And he was starting these workshops where he would help people clarify their message. So right. he said, why don't you, you've got this new TV show. You're kind of going into a new career of writing and different things. Why don't you come out and do your branding at our workshop? So I flew out to Nashville, Tennessee, which is where it was, and immediately fell in love with the process mm -hmm. of telling a clear story um, for your brand. And it was, you know, I'd been doing it for 20 years and all of a sudden he showed me this framework of how to create clear messaging that blew my, in fact, it kind of pissed me off because <laughs> I'm like, I've been, I have a PhD in this and he right. like figured this out. How did I not see this? It's so brilliant. And so I just started when I was there, literally at that workshop, because there's the educator professor in me, I was like, okay, I get this. I can do this later. And I just started helping the other people around me who are right. getting it. And so he said, well, why don't you, you know, while you're waiting on the show to go and things, why don't you just keep flying out and helping at these workshops? So I did. And, um, kind of for about a year, just flew back and forth between LA and Nashville. Mm. And then, um, 
when the show show didn't end up getting on the air. And so uh, I was like, yeah, I want to do this. So I ended up moving out to Nashville and working full time for StoryBrand. And now I get to travel the world. Well, when we get to travel, right. um, helping companies and leaders clarify their message. That's awesome. And it's a wonderful framework and it's a wonderful business. And I love what you guys are doing. And I'm just sitting here thinking about what it must have been like to be a student where their, their dean of students is one of the bad A brothers and just how <laughs> awesome that would be. Uh, but I love that. And and I love the concept of story because I think it really has something to pull people's heart and make people really engage in what you're doing. And you think of the great stories of our time, the, the Star Wars, the Lord of the Rings, the Harry Potters, and they all have very similar storylines. So uh, as we begin, kind of set the groundwork. Why, why are stories so powerful? What makes yeah. them move people and how do we use them effectively as leaders? Yeah. I mean, stories, oddly enough, are formulaic. Um, most people don't really understand that, but going all the way back to Aristotle, um, who described, you know, in poetics, really the power of story and the power of influence, he really would argue in poetics that if you want to change a society, the way you do it is through story. And he even had this formula of like, if you want to reach the masses, you use comedy. And if you want to reach the elite, you use drama. And there's a lot of like reason kind of behind that and all of it, but there's a, all the way back to Aristotle and Plato, they really were studying the impact and the power to change society. Um, Kierkegaard argues often that the only way to actually change anybody's mind is through what he would call direct indirect communication that you cannot if you actually want to change somebody specifically politically or religiously or any ideals values you have to use story otherwise you uh, come across as attacking them as individuals and then beyond that you know even in our modern day movies we've seen the power of and how much money is just poured into hollywood of how much money people are willing to spend to step into and be moved by stories. And there's a couple different reasons for that is that basically our lives are pretty chaotic, right? Like I wake up in the morning and I'm living a story, but I'm living 500 different stories, right? And my life is a little overwhelming and confusing. And when I go to a movie that movie synthesizes all the world basically down to some bullet points. Some It makes sense of life that's going on, right? Stories are a reflection of the life that we're living. And stories are what I would call a sense-making device. They really, with all the noise and chaos and everything that's going on in our lives, stories create structure. Stories use structure to make sense of our life. A lot of people talk about that giving context, right? Context yeah. to yeah. things, but it's really a sense-making device. And here's why story works so well with us. Um, it, and, and our brains are really designed to kind of think that way. But when it, stories give focus and meaning, so our brains are really designed to help us survive and thrive. That's really all our brains are always kind of looking for how information that contributes to our survival and thriving. Yeah. Now, and two of the ways that we do that is that first our brain, um, our brain is trying to uh, keep us alive and focus on the survival and thriving. And, and we do this when like, you know, when you walk into a movie theater, um, you don't know how many seats are in the room, but you know where the exits are. 
mm-hmm. right? Like our brains are always just filtering out information that doesn't directly contribute to our survival and thriving. Yeah. And so like, you're not, you, if you walk into like a Starbucks and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you notice every crack that's on the floor, every line that's on the floor, every detail on the wall, how many holes are in the ceiling, how many, you know, uh, sprinkles are on the donuts. You would never order your coffee because you're focused on every single detail in yeah. the room. So our brain literally goes, nope, don't have to pay attention to that. Coffee is there. Bathrooms are there. Exits are there. That's an empty seat. That's it. Mm. Like when we walk in, our brains naturally filter out all that information. And then the other part is that our brains, in order to kind of help us survive and thrive, is our brains are looking to do so in such a way that it doesn't have to burn any calories. When we have to sit and think for hours, like if you're in a all day meeting or you're studying for an exam or, you know, or writing a paper. Right. And you sit for a few hours thinking hard. You're exhausted at the end of that, right? Totally. Well, it's not just because you just sat there. It's because your brain is actually burning calories. And you have a limited number of decision-making calories that you have the ability to burn in any given time. So what our bodies and brain does in order to keep us alive is if all of a sudden our brain is starting to get low on those thinking calories, it goes, if a tiger jumps out of the bush right now, we're dead. <laughs> I'm going to turn off my brain right. because I need to conserve calories to save this body, save this brain if a tiger comes out at me. And so that's when we start daydreaming or that's when we start like our, you know, zoning out. That's actually a survival mechanism. Right. And so when, if you understand that that's really how our brains work is that we are looking for information that helps us survive and thrive. And we are looking to understand that information so quickly that we don't have to burn any calories to get it. You have to think of ways to help people to communicate with people in a way that does those two things. You have to be clear and you have to talk about how whatever you're communicating is contributing to their survival and thriving. Story helps us do that. It gives context. It gives meaning. It gives structure to everything we're trying to say. So for instance, you know, if you're giving a speech, you're in, you're a leader and you're giving a speech about the vision for this next year. Yeah. Well, if you are not doing that speech, communicating to your group in such a way that does not contribute to their survival and thriving and does not do so in such a clear manner that people are having to burn too many calories to understand it, their brains are designed to tune you out. They're done. Mm. This is true for leadership. It's true for marketing, right? Yeah. If your marketing does not contribute to people's survival and thriving and doesn't do so in a way that doesn't cause them to burn calories, they're huh. out. Because we are experiencing, like most people are experiencing 5,000 commercial messages a day. Yeah. Beyond that, think about every other piece of information that's thrown at you in any given day. Even when you're sitting on a Zoom meeting with somebody, you're listening to a podcast, there's still information coming at you. So if you can't communicate clearly, you're going to lose people. Their brains are designed to tune you out. Mm -hmm. What story does is it gives us a tool to communicate information in a way that helps people understand why this information is important for them to understand and follow. And it helps us do it 
clearly when we follow the rules of story, it helps us do it clearly so that we're not causing people to burn too many calories. And there is a formula to it. Right. And when you understand that formula, then you can actually tell the right stories. And one of y'all's most famous tagline, if you confuse, you lose, yes. is, I mean, that's the point. The the stories create clarity and saying, this is how we're going to get from point A to point B and not having to burn too many calories. And like you said, there is a formula, there is a framework for that. And I would love to walk through that with you, kind of the, the main pillars of a story, if you will. Yes. And it starts with the character. And, yeah. uh, and it's important to know, as you said, know what the character wants and understand who the character wants to be. So break down and unpack a character so the character is really the hero of the story yep. right and so um in any movie within the first few minutes of this of the movie starting you know as an audience what that character wants and it has to be one thing that's it one thing it can't be 20 things jason yep. Bourne cannot try to you know he wants to understand who he is he can't also be wanting to open a bakery train for a marathon, adopt a cat. Like you can't yeah. do that. Or we, as the audience tune out, that's where it starts to get confusing. Right? Mm -hmm. So the story, it, you have to understand there's a character and it's typically one person. Sometimes it's a group protagonist, yeah. but typically it's one person who longs to be somebody and he longs, he or she longs to get something. Mm -hmm. So it's, they're longing to be brave. They're longing to be loved. They're longing to be appreciated. There's something, there's some transformational arc that's going to happen. But more importantly, even than that, the character wants one thing. Jason Bourne wants to know who he is. Katniss wants to win the Hunger Games. Luke Skywalker wants to defeat the Empire. Yeah. There's oh, you know, Liam Neeson in every movie wants to get his daughter back. <laughs> wants to yeah. find his daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's you you know, and you know that, you know, somebody wants to get the girl. You you yeah. know that within the first about nine minutes, actually, of the of a movie. And that has to be clear. And if it's not clear, people won't pay attention to the story. That's hmm, fascinating. And and think about how much it would add to the Jason Bourne movies if he was trying to adopt a cat while finding yeah. out who yeah. he was. That would be quite chaotic. When you're giving a speech as a leader, yep. how do you incorporate the character? Because I know in marketing, you say all the time, the customer is the hero, not the company. If yeah. I'm a leader giving a speech, the the people I'm leading would be the hero in the story you are trying yep. to communicate. Is that correct? Yep. Yes. Yeah, it is. Whatever audience you're trying to communicate to, you want to view them as the hero of the story. Right. And so it, it and the way that it works is a lot of people get up like a, a leader gets up and they want to be the hero of the story. Yeah. So they're trying to say our company is great and this is where we're going and it's for us. But the reality is everybody, all of us, myself included, we view ourselves as the hero in our own movie, right? As a hero in our own perspective, in our own journey. Yeah. So if a leader gets up and positions themselves as the hero or the company as the hero, and the person in the audience or the consumer is viewing themselves as a hero, then you are in two different stories, mm -hmm. right? So you have to, as a speaker, understand when I'm sitting here and I'm trying to communicate a new initiative for our company, or I'm trying to get cast people a vision, I want to figure out what it is that they want that aligns with my vision, mm -hmm. right? So literally saying something like, um, let's say you're rolling out a new program in your company that um, is doing, we're going to move from unlimited uh, unlimited, uh, vacation days to now we're going to go to three 
three weeks a year. Yeah. Right. So instead of standing up and going, Hey, this is good for the company <laughs> that puts the company as the hero or the leader as the hero, right. you literally would start out the speech. Well, you'd start out the speech with a problem, which we'll get to in a second, yeah. but you would understand that this whole speech has to be about me saying you want to live a balanced life, balanced work, work home life. Like literally go, that's what you want. And then the speech is about showing people how this new system actually helps them achieve a better home life balance. Because when you do unlimited, then nobody actually ends up taking the vacation. And so we actually want to help you have a more balanced life Yeah. versus, Hey, we're making this decision. Everybody needs to be on board. Mm-hmm. You go, what do they want? What are they looking for? What opportunities are in this for them? And then the second really element of the framework is so a character, you have to understand what a character wants. And then the very next thing in the movie is that customer encounters, not customer, I'm sorry, the hero encounters a problem that gets in the way of what they want. You know, a bomb is going to go off. Uh, the Hunger Games is going to have to happen. You know, mm-hmm. they some there's they they feel insecure with themselves. A villain shows up, right? A problem. A movie is not good without a problem, right? right? If if Liam Neeson, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, his daughter gets kidnapped, and then he finds out it's a joke, and he's just going to go over and go shopping with her for a, a month in Europe. That's not a good movie, right? That's not very interesting. You have to, a movie, I'm sorry, a problem makes a movie and a story interesting. Mm. So then you have to understand what problem it is that the the audience, so beyond, like, so there's that, that, well, let me walk through all seven elements in a story and then let me kind of apply it to the leadership. Let's do it. So the seven elements really are a character who wants something who encounters a problem. That's the second level that makes the story interesting. Then the character always meets somebody who will help them overcome those problems. So almost always the character can't overcome the problems on their own. Otherwise, again, that's not an interesting movie because they wouldn't have been in the problem in the first place. So they meet a guide. They meet a guide. That's the third element guide. And the guide helps the, the hero overcome the challenge. And that's, Yoda, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Hamish in Hunger Games. Yeah. You know, um, there's always somebody who uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. you know, there's always somebody who helps the hero on the journey, helps that has been that is further down the journey so that the hero meets a guide. Then the guide gives them a plan. There's always a plan. This yep. is how we're going to win the day. You know, we have to journey to Mordor. We have to win the Hunger Games by gaining sponsors. You have to trust the force to become a Jedi. There's always a plan. So the guide gives them a plan. And then there is a moment where the guide calls them to action or the story calls them to action. So the hero has to accept or reject something because if they're not kind of confronted with a moment, like a bomb's going to go off or their daughter's going to disappear or the death star is going to destroy a planet. If there's not a moment, then the hero will never act. There has Mm -hmm. to be some urgency. So there is a moment of call to action. And then we know as the audience that there are stakes in the story. So we know that there will be success or failure, Mm -hmm. right? That this can either have a happy ending or tragic ending. Everybody dies or everybody lives happily ever after. So those are the seven elements of any story you see. A character who we know what the character wants, who encounters a problem, who meets a guide, who gives them a plan, calls them to action, and then we know the stakes are their success or failure. Mm. 
So when it comes to being a leader or communicating in any capacity, the audience is the hero. And so we need to understand what it is the audience wants. Then we need to understand what is it, what is the problem that gets in the way for the audience getting what they want? Then we come in, this is the big paradigm shift of the story brand framework, is you are always the guide, not the hero of the story. For whoever you're trying to communicate, in your own life, you're the hero. But in the lives of leaders, when you're leading a group of people, you are the guide. You are not the hero. They are the hero. So your job is to figure out how do you help them overcome their problems. And you do that by giving them a plan, a clear and solid plan easy plan to understand. You call them to action and then you cast a vision for what life is like if they act, so success, or what life is like if they don't act, failure, right? That And so when you can sit down and you can understand how to communicate to your audience in that way, you actually now are not just telling a story, you're literally inviting them into a story. You're inviting them in to live their own hero's journey. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it in a way that is so succinct and so clear that you're communicating how it contributes to their survival and thriving. And you're doing it without all the other noise in such a way that doesn't burn too many calories. I love it. And I love the idea of inviting whenever we go back and we talk about the problem. And and when you write about it, you wrote about there's an internal and external and a philosophical problem. And the, the, the philosophical problem is that there is something larger than the story itself. And you're inviting people into the larger narrative. What does that look like in leadership and communication to invite people into a larger narrative? Yeah. Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of context of why it even you asked earlier why is story effective and how is it important yeah um, or why is why is it effective why is it important there's actually a bunch of research on this theory called narrative transportation and the idea is when people experience a good story that they can see themselves in they experience narrative transportation they literally transport themselves into the story yeah so that's like when you hear the phrase like i got lost in a book or, you know, when you're watching a movie and you jump because mm. of something. Yeah. Um, I, I remember a couple of years ago, I was uh, watching The Walking Dead. And I was also playing um, this game on my phone called Plants vs. Zombies. <laughs> yeah. And um, I remember at one point I'd been, I'd like binge watched a bunch of Walking Dead and I'm playing Plants vs. Zombies. And all of a sudden I'm like going, wow, this is really insensitive of me to play this cartoon game while my friends are dying at the hands of real zombies. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is the thought You're I had in, it. in my brain. I was like, and I was like, oh, put the phone down and go yeah. outside. Like, <laughs> yeah, Take a walk, JJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I was clearly like way too into the story, but right. we've all been there, right? We've been totally. so in the story that we cry, that we jump, that we, that's called narrative transportation you put yourself in the story. So when it's a good story and what we don't realize is that it's a good story when they follow the rules. So when it follows the rules and it's a good story, we experience narrative transportation. Hmm. And so we put ourselves in the story. Now the research shows that the better the story, the higher level of narrative transportation. And when you experience narrative transportation, the research shows that it has a greater influence on your thoughts and your actions. Gotcha. And it's one of the most powerful ways to influence thoughts and actions is through narrative transportation. Hmm. Now, the research goes even further that when it, when done correctly, 
narrative transportation can ex- be experienced even in as little as a tweet or a Instagram post. Right. If you're telling the right story and inviting somebody in. So imagine a speech. If you're giving a 15 to 30 minute speech, if that can be done in a tweet, it can really be done in a speech or a proposal or a video, right? Yeah. Or a commercial or an email. I mean, it can always, it can happen. And so there are pieces of, so you want to invite people into a story because they need to see themselves in the story. Again, they're the hero of the story, not you. So when you invite somebody into a story versus just telling a story, people will experience narrative transportation. They will be more likely to be affected. Hmm. One of the ways is what you're talking about is by understanding that people experience not just an external problem, but an internal and philosophical problem. And so when people like when you say, all right, so I like Luke Skywalker wants to destroy the Death Star. None of us have ever actually destroyed a Death Star that I'm aware of. Right. Right. (laughs) So what storytellers do in order to connect with an audience who have say uh, literally like an audience of soccer moms who've never destroyed a Death Star. Yeah. Or Liam Neeson, who's, you know, essentially we've never had a daughter kidnapped. Mm. They use a, 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 a tool called the internal problem. So the movie is about the external problem in some ways, but the connection with the audience comes through the internal problem. Mm. So Luke Skywalker feels um, he's insecure, right? He's not sure if he has what it takes to destroy the Death Star. Or Liam Neeson um, is trying to overcome his feelings of being a bad father or letting somebody down who he loves. Now, all of us have experienced those things, insecurity, frustration, um, not feeling like we have what it takes, um, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, or feeling like letting somebody down who you love. So now we can see ourselves in the movie, even if we've never disarmed a bomb, destroyed kidnappers, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then philosophical problem is this kind of higher, it's like, what type of philosophical argument is the story trying to make about how the world should be, right? Mm-hmm. So Star Wars is told from the perspective of the rebellion, right? Which yeah. is basically like freedom is important. Mm-hmm. Now, if you told the story from the empire's perspective, it's that order gets rid of chaos, right? We need order and similarity because that's where power comes in is everybody acting the same. And and so if we told the movie from that way, that's the philosophical argument and the philosophical problem they're trying to overcome. Hmm. Order is better than chaos. But we know the story from the rebellion, which is freedom and, and the ability to kind of run your own life and your own journey is better than order because you're not under the thumb of people, right? Right. So as a leader, when you're identifying the problem that you're helping people overcome, you don't just want to say, hey, when you, like, let's go back to our example, when you get on board with this three weeks of vacation versus unlimited, not only is that going to help you have a better work-life balance, that's an external problem. Yeah. But it's also going to help you feel what you know and you're looking for feelings of it you're no longer going to feel frustrated that you don't know if you can or can't take time off right you're no longer going to feel 
like you're letting work down when you actually focus on your family. Yeah. Right. So that's the intern. You're talking about feelings. So you have to address that because people will buy into the story more if you're addressing the feeling, not just the external. And then when you say the philosophical, what you're bringing in is a statement like you deserve or we shouldn't have to. Like, so a philosophical statement might be in this case, you shouldn't have to feel guilty about taking your vacation time. Hmm. Right. So now I'm saying, when you buy into this, not only does it solve the external problem of that you're going to have a better work-life balance, the internal problem of feeling guilty, but we're actually creating a world where you are encouraged to live in a, it, where you are taking care of yourself and your family, right? Uh, so now, instead of just saying, hey, we are changing from unlimited to three weeks and everybody needs to buy in. That's my story. Yep. That's not your story. Your story is... You need a better health work-life balance. You feel guilty about taking vacation and you don't, you deserve to live in a place that actually appreciates you and gives you the time off you need. Hmm. It's incredible. And the power of stories is incredible to move people and to communicate what you want and and continuing on, on these aspects, you have a character, this character has a problem. We've addressed the three issues. They meet a guide who encourages, equips the character to win the day, as you had said. And then that, guide provides a plan or, or as you all said, a, a path to hope. And then yeah. this next part I really want to focus on is the call to action. Something yeah. you said is there needs to be an inciting incident that causes the character to take action. So yeah. I feel like as a leader, whenever you are inspiring people, you're giving a speech that this might be like the climax of your speeches. This is the action yeah. we will take. Unpack that for us. Yeah. And it's actually much more simple than people I think make it to be. It's what's the next step I'm supposed to take to win the day. Right Mm -hmm. now, if you're a marketer, it's buy now. It literally is buy now, buy the mattress. You're lacking sleep, which makes you feel frustrated or exhausted. You deserve to get a good night's sleep. There's external, internal, philosophical. So the call to action is literally buy now. Right. Because if I'm your guide and I genuinely believe that this is going to move you forward in your story and help you win the day, then I actually have a responsibility to ask you to call to action. Right. It's you you can't be wishy-washy with it. You know, it's kind of like in a movie, you wouldn't go, I mean, if you want to disarm the bomb, I guess that's cool. Or if you want to learn more about disarming the bomb, then just talk to me later. No, it's like you have 30 seconds. So you don't have to quite be that crazy when you're talking, giving a speech or something, but you never want people to guess what am I supposed to do at the end of your speech or your email or anything. What is the clear next step? And you don't give three. There's not three or four. It's what's the one thing you want them to do. Sign this piece of paper, sign up, meet with your supervisor, um, buy now, uh, schedule a call. You know, you want it to be super, super clear. um, Because when you know, if you say things like learn more or get excited or something like that, there's nothing that 